Amen. Well, I don't know how many of y'all are were familiar with. Did y'all hear about Judgment Day yesterday? Have y'all did y'all see the billboards and hear about that? When I came uh, to the service this morning, I was talking to the our praise team and band, and I said, you know what would be scary is if we're all here and y'all don't show up. And so, uh, I, mean, I hate to say this, but I'm actually glad to see y'all. I mean, I'm not against uh, the Lord coming back, but it is nice to know that if he did, that I didn't get left behind yet. Or it could be that everybody else out, outside is gone and we're here. Uh, but anyway, uh, today we are continuing our series through the book of James, and we're going to be talking about how to handle temptation. I saw an interesting story about a middle school that was having problems with their middle school girls. They were they began to wear lipstick, and they'd go in the bathroom, and they'd put the lipstick on, and they'd go up to the mirror, and they would start kissing the mirror, and they were leaving lip prints, you know, all over the mirror. And as you can imagine, guess who it ticked off more than anybody else? Do you have an idea? Yeah, the janitor. Janitor would go in there, and there's this lipstick all over the mirror, and so he told the principal. Principal called in the girls to the bathroom. He said, listen, whenever you do this, you cause a big problem for our, uh, for our janitor. He said, let me show you what he has to do in order to fix this problem. And so the janitor said, yeah, girls, watch this. And so he gets a brush and he goes over to the toilet bowl. He sticks it in the toilet bowl and he begins to wash off that mirror and then he dries it off. And amazingly, after he did that, nobody ever kissed that mirror again. Now, uh, what's interesting to me is there's a lot of things that, that look good, that seem fun, but if we just sort of knew the, you know, the filth that's involved behind it, I don't think many of us would get really all that involved in doing those kinds of things. Now, I do believe that there are a lot of things out there that tempt us. And I just want to share some good news with you. It is not a sin to be tempted. In 1 Corinthians 10.13, just look at the verse there. It says, but when you are tempted... But when you are tempted, now you can notice that it does not say if you are tempted, it says when you are tempted. And so that is a part of life. Every one of us is going to face temptation. What we want to do is to avoid giving in to temptation. The rest of that verse goes on to say, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Now my guess is that all of us are tempted. Uh, some of us, we like to try to help out on the temptation a little bit here at our church, so when you walk in, you get to look at donuts. And so there's temptation. It can be what you eat. It can be with what you look at. It can be even with what you're thinking and what you say. And so my, my question for you today is, is there something in your life right now that tempts you? Is there, is there something in your life that, that you say, you know what, if I really think about it, there are some things in my life that pull me away from God. Some things in my life that I'm just naturally inclined to go after, even though I know they're filthy and they're wrong. But man, I just, I just find myself being drawn to those things. Today in our scripture, what we're going to try to learn to do is to handle those temptations when they come our way. Now, is being tempted wrong? No. But is giving into it wrong? Yes. And so if you have your Bible, I'd like for you to look with me in James chapter 1 as we continue through our study in the book of James. Uh, if you all remember from the last couple of weeks, James is near the end of the Bible, so you can go all the way to the right, turn back a little bit, and you're going to run into it. So James chapter 1, verse number 13. And while you're looking that up, I'll just share with you just real briefly some background information. I'm going to take a drink here because I've got allergies, which are wonderful. Uh, this letter was addressed to, <clears throat> to Jewish Christians 
who were scattered all throughout the ancient world at this time because of persecution. And so what would happen is they'd go into these new countries where they were living and they would try to fit in with everybody else. And as they tried to fit in with everybody else, their, their religion was different. And so some of them said, you know, we need, to, we need to put our religion aside, our faith aside, and we need to live like everybody else so that we'll be accepted by everybody else. And they, they were tempted in that regard. And I thought about that, and I thought, you know, we, we still do the same thing today. Uh, we don't want people to think that we're strange. If, if we move into a new area, we want to be accepted by our neighbors. We go to a new school, we want to be accepted by other students. We want people, you know, to, to recognize us and to think that we're good people. And so in our text today, what James does is he, he encourages people. He says, you need to hang on to your faith. He says, you don't need to give in to temptation, but to, to hang on to your relationship with Christ. And it's my hope today that we're going to see some things that we can consider that will help us to be able to handle temptation in life. And the very first thing that we ought to consider to help us handle temptation is accountability. Uh, we all we need accountability, all of us do. Uh, look with me in verse number 13. It says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You know, whenever we are tempted, sometimes I think what would help allay those, you know, those fears of temptation and keep us from being tempted would be to have some sort of accountability. I uh, have somebody to, to you know, kind of keep us on track. And I, I thought about the very, the very first sin that was ever committed. Y'all remember who that was by? Yeah, Eve, and, and then Adam as well. You might remember that what happened is God said in the, the entire Garden of Eden, which was a perfect place, He said, you can have anything that you want. It's all yours. He said, there's only one tree I don't want you to even mess with. And so, that, which just sounds like a pretty good deal. I mean, just stay away from one tree, but what happens? Well, Eve is tempted, and she goes to the tree, she takes the fruit, she eats the fruit, and she gives it to Adam. Adam takes it, he eats as well. And then right after that, God shows up, which is, you know, typically what God does. They've, they've, they've been disobedient, God shows up, and he comes to Adam, who's supposed to be the spiritual leader. And I'm paraphrasing here, he basically says, Adam, what's going on? And Adam, because he knows, Adam already knows God knows. And so Adam looks at God, and he says, that woman that you made for me. He begins to point the finger. That woman messed me up. And so then God goes over to Eve. And he says, Eve, what's, what happened? And what, do you all remember who Eve blamed? She blamed the serpent. She said, that serpent, he messed me up. And it's interesting to me that here they are. They have made a choice to be disobedient to God. And yet there is no personal responsibility for their actions. And they began to try to blame it on everybody else. And I, and I look at that and I think, man, how, how foolish they were. Do they really think they're going to be able to trick God like that? And yet, how, how many of us do the same thing? You know, come up with excuses for the bad decisions that we make or the things we know that are wrong. You know, I, I can think of, of times when I've talked with people, and, and even in my own life, when people say, well, you know, I, I responded that way because that's the way my parents were. 
You know, I, I responded this way because you don't understand the kind of week that I, that I had. Or, you know, I'm Irish. And you know how Irish people are. Yeah, I do. And I know how most of us are anyway. And so we come up with all these, all these different excuses without us ever being responsible for our own actions. Without us ever holding ourselves accountable. Now notice in our verses it says that God is not the one who tempts us. He's not the one who makes us disobedient. So, so what causes us to be disobedient? Is it, did the devil make us do it? What causes us to be disobedient? In verse number 14, it tells us this. It says, by our own evil desires, we are dragged away and enticed, and it leads us into sin. It says, by our own evil desires. You know what that means? It means it's not your parents' fault. It's not society's fault. It's not your circumstances' fault. It is, it is a decision that you and I have made when we decide we are going to be disobedient to God. And the way that we live, the choices that we make, they are, we, we are going to be held accountable for those by God Himself. Adam and Eve, they started making excuses, but God judged them anyway. Remember what God did? Kicked them out of the Garden of Eden. And after he kicked them out of the Garden of Eden, it is then that death entered into our world. The Bible teaches us that God holds us accountable. Romans 14, 10-12 says, For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. When you know that you're being held accountable... Do you notice that you tend to keep your actions a little more in check when you know somebody's watching you? Uh, I've told you all this before. Every year, Emily goes off <clears throat> with her friends from high school for a long weekend. And so that means that I get to stay by myself at the house. And whenever that happens, you know, that means I have free reign. And when I'm at the house by myself, I don't have to, I don't have to wash the dishes if I don't want to. Um, I can watch any show that I want to. I, can, uh, I don't have to clean the dishes. I don't have to make the bed. If I, want, I can eat in bed if I want to. But you know what? I know it's a short weekend, and I know Emily's coming home on Sunday. And so knowing that, it keeps my actions in check. Because when she comes home, guys, you know this, when your wife comes home, you want your wife to be happy, Right? I mean, just in general, we want our wives to be happy. And I'm not saying anything bad. We just, it's, and the reason why is because we love our wives, right? We, we, want, we want to please them. We want them to come home and say, look, the house looks great. And I did this because I love you and then also because I'm kind of scared of you. And so those are the things that we want to do. But when we're held accountable, we tend to watch our actions a little bit more. Now, the same kind of thought process needs to occur when it comes to our relationship with God. Because there will be a day... According to the Bible, there will be a day when we're going to be held accountable to God, by God, for how we've lived our lives, whether it be good or bad. So the next time that you're tempted, I, I want you to have a different view or a different take on the situation. Instead of saying, is this something, if I do it, that it will please me? Or is it, is if this, is, if this is something that I do, will it make me feel good? Ask yourself the question, is this something God would want me to do? Is this something that God would be pleased with in my life? 
And then ask yourself, God, what would you want me to do in this situation? So how do we handle temptation? Well, we need to consider accountability. But another thing we're to consider to handle temptation is consider this. Consider God's goodness. Whenever you're tempted, consider the goodness of God. In verse number 16, it says, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. One of the tricks Satan played on Adam and Eve when they were in the garden is he said, Listen, the reason why God doesn't want you to eat of this fruit is because if you do, you're going to become like God. He said, God's trying to trick you. And he put a seed of doubt in their mind. And when that seed of doubt came into their mind, it was then that they began to drift away from God. And I've, I've come across many of us who do the same thing. We, we look at some things that have happened in our past and, and we get frustrated to God and we begin to drift away from Him. And we say, you know, God, if you really love me, God, if you really cared about me, then why, why am I losing my job? God, if you're really interested in my life and you're really paying attention to what's going on in my life, then, then why did you allow my, my friend or my family member to get cancer? And so we have all these, these questions that come into our mind and there's, there's seeds of doubt begin to pop up about our relationship with God. And I'm going to be honest with you, there's stuff that happens in our world that I don't get it. I don't have any answers for it. I mean, there's times when I've, I've done funerals for people who were good people and they were young people, and they will say, why did God do this? Or why did God allow this to happen? And I would like to have some great answer. But I don't know what to say most of the time. Other than to say this, when I read Scripture, there's one thing I come away with. And that is, regardless of circumstances, God is good. Now, I just want to hang on to that. Now, I don't understand when bad things happen either. I'm like y'all. But I just hang on to the fact that God is good. That God is always good. The Bible today says every good and perfect gift is from above. It says that God is not like the shifting shadows. That means God is consistently good. God doesn't wake up one morning and say, I know I've been good today, but I think today I'm going to be horrible. God doesn't do that. He's consistently good. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises. Some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. As I was studying for this message, I, I liked what one of my commentaries said about the unchanging nature of God. It said, He cannot change for the worse because He's holy. He cannot change for the better because He's perfect. The light of the sun varies as the earth changes, but the sun itself is still shining. If shadows come between us and the Father, He did not cause them. He is the unchanging God. Now, you know, there's sometimes when we're outside and the sun's shining on us. And there's other times when the, the sun is not on us. It's, you know, it can be dark outside, it can be rainy, and you can be like, where's the sun? Did the, when that happens, the sun didn't quit shining. And we all know this. It's still shining. It's just that there's something that stands between us and the light of the sun, right? The same thing's true with God. You know, whenever things are going your way, you can say, yeah, but God is with me. But whenever things aren't going your way, does that mean that God has quit shining? That God is no longer good? No, he, He's still shining. It just means that there's something else that's come in between us and God like the shadows. So what is it that comes between us and God? 
Guys, you know what it is? It, it is the effects of sin. We live in a fallen world. When Adam and Eve sinned, evil came into this world. Disobedience to God, it leads to trouble. It leads to death. It leads to the, the shade coming in between us and God. Listen to what our scripture says today in verse 15. It says, Then after desire has conceived in us, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, it gives birth to death. And then verse number 16 goes on to say, But don't be deceived. I really, what ha- I really believe what happens to so many of us as followers of God is we forget about the goodness of God. And then we become greedy and we begin to want more and more and we forget about God's goodness. So what happened to David, King David in the Old Testament. David had been greatly blessed by God, but as, as time went on, he, it's like he began to forget about the goodness of God. And I believe if he would have paid attention to his relationship with God, he would have never committed adultery with Bathsheba. Nathan the prophet knew about it, and he came to David and rebuked him. He said in 2 Samuel 12, he said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. says, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if all of this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Yet David ignored the goodness of God. He became greedy. Now folks, here's a reminder for us. God's gifts are always better than Satan's because eventually Satan will make you pay for what he offers you. I, I really like to, I like to fish uh, quite a bit. And one of the fun things about fishing to me is uh, it's fun to get a lure and try, try to trick a fish into biting it. I just think that's kind of neat. Now, some of the lures that we have, they, they look very they look very realistic. So we have some swim baits, and they look like real fish. You can pull them through the water, and they swim. But if a fish bites in to that, to that swim bait, to that lure, is that, is that going to satisfy and nourish him? Well, absolutely not. And the reason why is because it's not real. And not only that, when he bites into it, he's going to have a real big surprise that there's hooks in it. And so I, whenever that happens, and I'm able to set a hook, and I'm able, to reel, I'm able to reel that fish in. Do you know that is how Satan works with us? He, put, he puts things out there that look good, that look real, that look satisfying, that look nourishing. And yet, if we take a bite out of temptation, those things that tempt us, what we're going to discover is that there's a hook in them. And it will destroy us. So, I, so, so it's what I need to consider to, to keep myself you know, out of temptation, out of the hands of temptation. Accountability. Consider God's goodness. And this is the last thing I want you to see, to consider how to handle temptation. Is consider this fact. Consider God in us. Those of us who are followers of God, God is in us. And that means a lot. Um, In verse number 18, it says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of of the first fruits of all He created. James says that God chose to give His followers birth through the word of truth. Now, what is this birth that He's talking about? He's talking about a spiritual birth. You know, a birth where we are alive to God. Now, in our own nature, the Bible tells us this. It tells us in our own nature, without God, we are spiritually dead. We have no spiritual life in us whatsoever on our own. 
And this comes from Ephesians 2, verses 1 and 2. It says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. That's speaking of the devil there. there. And this is why Jesus told a man named Nicodemus in John 3, 7, he said, You must be born again. Now, he's not talking about you know, having another physical birth. He was talking about being spiritually born into God. Now, how does that happen? It happens when we surrender control of our lives to Jesus. Where we say, Lord, this is my life. I give it to you. It is then that God spiritually makes us alive. And it transforms your life. You live differently. You live, for one. If you're spiritually dead and God gives you life, you're alive. And if you're born spiritually, that means you are born into the family of God. And if you're born into the family of God, it means that you will have traits that show you're a part of His family. You know, it is impossible to come into contact with God, to submit yourself to His leadership, and you not be changed. It's impossible. You know, Emily and I, we have three children. Uh, all, all we have three, we have two boys and a girl. Now, as much, and you know, there's times when I can embarrass my children, as much as I embarrass them and tease them and drive them crazy, did you know there is, my, my trump card over them is there is nothing they can do to ever, to ever deny the fact I'm their dad. Now, they can say it all day long. If we do DNA test, I'm their dad. And you know what? It, because they are a part of our family, they're going to have traits that come from... Uh, the East Step side of the family and the Henniger side of the family. There's nothing they can do to deny that. That's just what happens. There are kids. In a similar sense, when you give yourself to God, you become a child of God. And there's some traits that you're going to have that come from God and that, that you cannot deny. Now, what happens to too many of us is we try to run from our relationship with God, and we go after those temptations. Guys, that's so unnatural for us who are believers. So how do we keep away from those temptations? Remember to whom you're related. If you're a follower of God, you belong to Him. Your life no longer belongs to yourself. It now belongs to God. We have a high birth in Christ. And it's because of our relationship with Him that we can look forward to feasting on a life with meaning and purpose. Whereas if we go after the things of this world, man, we're going to be empty. We're going to be satisfied. That's why Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, He said, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So when temptations come your way, remember, God wants to give you a full life. This world doesn't. So what are some things to consider to be able to handle temptation? Well, James tells us, said, accountability, God's goodness and God in us. Now, I just want to encourage you or challenge you to be honest with yourself at this time. Just say, and, you know, not out loud, but just think, what are those things in my life that tempt me? We all have those areas in our life where we're weak. What is it in your life? As you identify that, I want to encourage you during this time to just simply call out to God and say, God, I believe in you. I believe that you have power. You are the God who had power over death. I know you have the power over my temptations. 
Lord, I pray that you will give me victory over these things that tempt me. And if you've given in to those temptations, you need to simply talk to the Lord and say, Lord, I need you to forgive me. I pray that you will help me, Lord, to be to live, put my life back on the right track that I might honor you. See, the, the great thing about Scripture is it's very honest. The book of James is very practical. It says you will be tempted, but your calling is not to give in to it. Because you serve a God who is bigger than your temptations. And in 1 Corinthians 10, he says he will provide a way of escape for you. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I am thankful for your word. I'm thankful, Jesus, that that you share with us how to handle temptation. And God, it's just a it is a part of everyday life, but Lord, I thank you that there are answers that come from your word and how we can and how we can deal with this issue. Lord, I, I as with as is the case with so many things, Lord, it's not the, the information, it is the application. And I pray that we will take this information from Scripture, and Lord, that we will begin to apply it to our lives, trusting that your word is true. God, we give you praise and glory for who you are and how you can change our lives even today. In Christ's name I pray, amen.